What's up, everybody? Welcome to Wednesday edition of Texans All Access on this Wednesday evening. Beautiful one, wherever you might be. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. We've got a jam-packed show. We've got Texans EVP and GM Nick Casario. We've got Shaquille Griffin on a slant with B. Scott. We have got, we're going behind enemy sidelines with a former intern of mine, believe it or not, Cameron Cox, who covers the Cardinals in Arizona, left one of my former radio stations and ended up in Arizona, does a whale, a whale of a job. We're going man behind the mics with two of the best voices anywhere. Mark Vandermeer, of course, and Dave Pash calls games for the Arizona Cardinals. That's going to be a fun segment a little bit Later, So we've got a lot to do on the show, and each and every Wednesday, you know we kick it off with the man, Nick Casario, Executive Vice President of Football Ops and General Manager. Here's Mark, me, and Nick. We welcome into the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio Executive Vice President and General Manager Nick Casario. Nick, how's it going? Fellas, good to be here. Great to have you. Congratulations on the win. I know it's on to the next one always, but let's recap some of the things that went down at Cincinnati Another epic game. A lot of different twists and turns along the way, but you prevailed at the end. Yeah, there was a lot of things that came up during the course of the game. Um, you know, red area, execution probably in the first half. We kind of left points on the field. So, I mean, three trips ended up with three points, you know, with the fourth down play and some other things. Put ourselves in a pretty good position there in the second half, uh, up 10, and then turn the ball over, and then, you know, it was a tie game. But I think we've shown propensity in two-minute situations to be able to move the ball, get ourselves in a scoring situation. So it's a credit to the offense, to the staff, and to the players to go out there and execute. And then Matt went out there and made the kick. So um, it's interesting. I think there were six games this weekend that ended on the last play of the game. It just goes to show you how competitive each week really is, and it comes down to situational execution when a game is on the line. Yeah, I talked about that on uh, All Access Monday, on Matchup on Tuesday, Nick. The fact that you got six game-winning field goals. Let's Since you went there with Matt, he was here in 2022, and then I think he kicked a few games in 2022, but he hadn't kicked an NFL game in over a year. What gave you the confidence that, okay, Matt's our guy. This is the guy we want to go with at that point. Yeah, some level of experience. Um, we had some dialogue and discussions last week, and we felt that made the most sense for us. So um, I think the big thing when you're out that period of time is you don't necessarily forget how to kick. It's right. more of the timing and the execution. And then when you look at during the course of the week, even in practice, his pace was – he sped up his pace, and even in practice he missed a few. So a lot of it is just your timing, your execution, your breathing, just being under control because it's – it's like golf. It's swing easier, yep. and the ball will go further. So not hurry up and race and rush could potentially lead to a wayward kick. So, you know, Matt went in there, and the specialist job is to go out there and perform and, and make kicks and score points when they go on the field. And, you know, fortunately, we were able to do that. So crunch time moments, Nick. It has to please you the way the team was able to shake off the turnover, C.J. Stroud and Tank going over to the coach saying, we got you and all of that, and then coming through with execution to win the game. Yeah, there's so many things that happen during the course of a game. 65, 70 plays, there's probably some plays that are going to go your way. There's going to, frankly, other plays that aren't going to go your way. So how you respond and to have the right mindset, the one play at a time mentality, and you just have to move on to the next. And really, it starts with D'Amico. I mean, that's the, sort of the mindset that he is he provided the team um, and the approach. And you really, you have to take one play and go to the next play. You can't worry about what happened in the past, regardless if it's good or bad. If you let one play affect the next play, then it's just a snowball effect. So I think the players believe in each other. They believe in what they're they're doing. They believe in what we're trying to accomplish. So, I mean, that's you have to erase it from your mind, regardless of what happens, as hard as it is. And that, 
think there's a certain level of mental toughness that um, is required, and our players certainly have that. They've shown that and to be able to come through in critical situations. Nick, we've done this show this year, I don't know what, 11, 11 times, maybe 12 times, and we sat here, and it's about this time we go, all right, Nick, what's it going to take to get the run game going? Finally get to change the question. What got the run game going on Sunday against the Bengals? Yeah, I mean, it was good execution and good running. And I would say there was runs that were certain looks that were conducive to getting yards. Um, and a back at some point is going to have to make a defender miss on each play. You can get so many players blocked on each play and account for them, but there's probably going to be somebody free, and that's a responsibility of the back. So Motor was able to make some uh, unblocked players a miss. Yep. Uh, a couple times, I mean, I think Scott came free off the edge. They had a safety pressure that was called, and Motor was able to move laterally and avoid and get yards. So it's a combination of the back making people miss. Um, the line did a great job kind of getting a hat on a hat, being able to get the run started. We didn't yeah. have – correct me if I'm wrong, but we had, I'd say, the, probably the fewest amount of negative runs that we've yes. had during a game that we've had right. all year. So we've talked about that in the show. You eliminate those, there's a lot of positive yep. runs. So I'd say this week will be a sort of different set of circumstances, different fronts, how it's structured – whether or not the runs match up this week um, against Arizona, the, uh, TBD. I mean, we're going through that process here this week. So, um, But it's credit to the staff and a credit to the players for good execution. In this week's episode of CJ and the Pass Catchers, uh, we had another eruption from Noah Brown, Nick. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't seem to matter who's out there. He's going to find guys open, and they're all working very well together. Yeah, you're going to need everybody at some point. So I think the ability to distribute the ball to multiple people, get multiple people involved. So... The plays are designed. There's usually going to be five out in a play, or if you're going to have two or three, if it's a max pass or something like that. So there's going to be options on the play. There's going to be a progression on each play, and the quarterback has to go through his read one, two, three, understand the coverage, understand where to go to go with the ball. Um, CJ's done a great job of understanding the the context of the play and the integrity of the play, and making the right decision and going to the right spot. And everybody is a has to be a viable option in every play. And if you approach it with that mindset. Um, you're going to run your route and you're going to expect the ball. So it's not going to be a surprise. And we've had multiple players chip in. Um, I think D'Amico has talked about this specifically. Noah Noah has been very consistent from the day he walked in the building, going back to OTAs, going back to training camp. Noah's a professional. Um, he's been a productive player in this league. Maybe he hasn't had as many touches or opportunities, but you know he's maximized his opportunities certainly here. Um, and it's a credit to his work ethic, to his mindset. And, you know, he has a certain level of skill as well. You can't mask that. So be able to go out there and have back-to-back, -back, you know, 150-yard weeks. It means you're catching the ball. It means you're getting open. It means you're getting yards. And the quarterback's putting the ball in the right spot. He made one hell of a block, too, on Miles Murphy on that on Motors' touchdown run, too. Uh, he did a great job pinning him inside. And I'm, I'm sure he gives up probably 40, 50 pounds to Murphy, but pinned him inside. And that gave Singletary some room to run. Nick, I'm fascinated with this game for a number of reasons. And I think as people watch the game and they're seeing, oh, man, they're in it with the Bengals, all that kind of stuff, I think we would talk during a break and remind ourselves we had eight guys out of this game. We had eight guys out over the seven days that you had or six days or whatever it was to get ready for Sunday. It felt like your job was probably, I mean, at such a high level because you had Hassan and you had MJ go on IR. Then Kaimi goes on IR. We're all sitting there on a plane on Saturday like, okay, how's this – transaction report going to go for you what was the week like knowing you had all these guys out and how you had the chess pieces to move around to get enough guys to have a backup center to have a kicker to have all these guys ready to go and I think I think you had 49 but that might have been the limit of what you could have how did that week kind of go for you to get ready and everybody to a set point on Sunday yeah I mean frankly it was a normal week I mean I think after the game uh, the previous week um 
you know, all coming off the Tampa Bay game, you know, D'Amico and I usually talk either that, either that night or the next day and start to kind of plot out the week here. What are our options? What are our alternatives? What do we need to do? And that 24 to 48 after the game, you're just trying to get the information about who, in fact, is going to be available. I think right. sometimes there's a propensity to kind of jump to conclusions. Let's make sure we have the right information. And then based on that, you're really Monday, Tuesday is when most of the movement is going to take place because you might need to get a player in the building, right. maybe have a player that's already here. And then you start to think ahead, all right, who's going to be available? Who's going to be active? What are our options? What are we going to do with the practice squad? You know, we had a, you know, release Austin off the roster. I mean, that wasn't an easy thing to do. And right. he was claimed subsequently by the Jets. So I think that's just part of roster management. And unfortunately, you're going to lose players. We weren't certainly trying to lose Austin. But you just try to manage the situation. Each week's going to be a little bit different. You know, I would say coming off of the Cincinnati game, not as much volume from an injury standpoint. We have a few guys that are coming back. But there's still some chess pieces that you have to utilize. So um, try to treat it as a normal week and I just go through your process and be prepared um, and just kind of have open dialogue and open communication. Um, you always have contingency plans in place. You're kind of always prepared for the what if. And this is where if you can kind of backfill your practice squad, typically the players that you're going to need, they're probably going to be in your building. And it's just a matter of kind of relocating yeah. them from the practice squad to the roster or elevations or however you have to do it. Well, how tough is it with injured reserve? Because the call-ups, it's not a bottomless pit. You're running out of those, and you have a lot of football left. And I guess you have to just let the season play out to determine what happens there, right? Yeah, at some point we're going to get some players back, but then we're going to reach our maximum allotment of players that we, we can bring back from injured reserves. So the reality is we're probably not going to bring, be able to bring everybody back. But I think going back to as far as preparation for the game is concerned, it's really a credit to the coaches and just not rolling with the punches, but just understanding there's nothing we can do about it. We can't change what's happened. Here's what we have to do to prepare. Here's what we need to do to, to be able to win the game or give ourselves an opportunity to win the game. You know, Beck was out last week. We brought D, uh, Dalton to the game, played eight plays on offense, had a role in a kicking game, and gave us some positive snaps. So you're not going to build a game plan around those players. You just have to hopefully have enough confidence that the player is going to be able to go out there and execute his job. So um, to your question about injured reserve, you know, we have some players that – quite frankly, we're probably not going to be able to bring back. And it's just the way the rules are designed. So try to make good decisions and just mm -hmm. kind of take it case by case one week at a time. One week at a time means the Arizona Cardinals are coming to Energy Stadium for the first time since 2017. Yeah. 2017. Uh, they now have a quarterback that we had when we saw him in 2021. Kyler Murray is back. Nick, I know you know this roster. Uh, you know the man that's putting together this roster really well in Monty Austin Fort. What do you see in the Cardinals? Let's get the scouting report. Yeah, I mean, even we played them in 2021. This yep. is a completely different team that yep. we even saw two years ago. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've talked about Monty, how much respect and admiration I have for him, both personally and professionally. And you know, I think he and JG, they're trying to put together a team that plays a certain way with a certain mindset, and that certainly shows up on the film. I mean, they've been in four one-score games. Yep. And in the fourth quarter, they've essentially been in every game, other than I would say really the Cleveland game, which – there were some circumstances that were involved there, but they've had a lot of change. They've had a lot of turnover. I think the big thing with a team like this, you have to familiarize yourself with the personnel because it's almost, I mean, they had Kayvon Wallace on a roster for seven, eight games. He started, then they released him. Right. So it's just understanding who's on the field. But I would say, you know, big picture, um, defensively, everything starts with Baker. I mean, he's a kamikaze. He's a football player. It doesn't matter how big or small you think he is. This guy's a football player. He's tough. He's fast. He's instinctive. And they put him in a position to make plays. I mean, he and, and uh, Thompson are probably their two best players defensively. They've had a lot of change in turnover on the perimeter or corner. 
Um, and on the front, they've moved some guys around, but the way they don't give up a lot of big plays on defense. I think that's the big thing. They limit the explosives. They give you a lot of different looks, especially on third down, and they're kind of a game plan element. Um, Zayvon Collins kind of played inside linebacker last year. He's playing outside linebacker. The guy that presents a lot of problems, probably more than people realize, is Gardeck. Yeah. You know, uh, number forty-five yep. outside linebacker, defensive end. He's six foot, two hundred thirty pounds. And you think, well, but he's fast, he's explosive, he's twitchy, um, and they've gotten good play from the big guys inside, including Lopez. You know, yep. since signing Roy, Roy's played about you know twenty to twenty-five snaps a game. So I would say they have a lot of you know younger players, newer players, and the one kind of I would say holdover Baker and Thompson, and then they brought in Kaiser White, who leads them in tackles, who has experience and Gannon's defense so they've been competitive on defense and offensively everything starts with Kyler when Kyler's on the field it just makes a massive difference so I think the thing that he brings to the table is just his speed how fast he is I think the third and 10 11 run he had against Atlanta was a classic Kyler play like you have him leveraged but you really don't have him he just outran a defense so um, he's a problem with the ball as a runner he's a good thrower of the football this isn't just a running quarterback um, and then Connor's probably one of the best backs in the league. I think he's averaging five yards a carry. He's been injured. McBride's starting to come on here a little bit, get some production. Uh, Marquise Brown is, is a good player. He's fast. He's twitchy. He's explosive. He's quick. And they've gotten good production from Michael Wilson, a rookie out of Stanford, and who's a player that you know we evaluated. So in a kicking game, Prater's been you know doing this a long time. So they got a place kicker. Good punter and Gilkin. So uh, this is a good football team. I mean, they're two and eight. Like nobody, their record is what their record is. But I mean, they've essentially been in every game. And you know, we're gonna have a big challenge on our hands this week. Yep. So hopefully, we're prepared to play, and they're gonna be ready to go. And you know, hopefully, our players are ready to go as well. Isn't it one of the ultimate examples of don't look at the record because of Kyler and because you're right. Every time I watch them, and they seem to be in a dogfight. They're giving somebody a heck of a game, and they might lose the game, but they're right there in the fourth quarter. Well, this is a league, kind of what we talked about going back to the beginning. When six games come down to the last play, I mean, everybody has a chance. You really try to give yourself a chance going into the fourth quarter, and I would say specific to Arizona, other than maybe a game or two, that's been the case. I mean, going back to the Giants, I mean, they were up 28 to nothing. They just didn't finish the game. And Giants ended up winning it, you know, in the fourth quarter, whatever it was. So, I mean, they have good players. And they're, they're a good team. I mean, and they've been competitive in certain areas. You know, they played decent on third down. They're one of the best rushing offenses in the league. So they present some challenges. So we just have to understand who we're playing against, number one, number two, what are they trying to do? They have a certain style of play. And then we just have to be uh, ready to match, you know, their effort, which I think our players will be ready. But, you know, I think this is a situation where you just have to go back through your process and you kind of start over. And what happened last week in the Cincinnati game really has no relevance or bearing into this week. Nick, over the last 10 to 12 years, we've seen some quarterbacks come into this league that can do some things movement-wise. Some guys are going to move to throw. I feel like Burrow was more of that. He's got a movement-to-throw guy. Mahomes is kind of a movement-to-throw guy. Kyler is kind of a combination of both, but because Kyler is so fast, it kind of adds that extra element of, well, he's scrambling, but is he going to keep his eyes downfield and throw it, or is he going to take off and run and embarrass me? How difficult is it to not just Kyler, but quarterbacks like him that are thinking kind of run first when they scramble? How tough does that become for the defense to handle or corral a guy like that yeah he Kyler puts a lot of pressure on the defense so when he starts to move around you have to make sure that the coverage stays close to the receivers right. so because there's going to be a plaster element that's involved so the people that have coverage have to stay in coverage 
People are responsible for the quarterback. Hopefully we have it leveraged. I think the pass rush will be key in terms of the coordination of it. How we rush is important. So in some respects, this is a little bit like playing Lamar. So yeah. they're factors with their feet, but they can kill you with their arm as well. And then when they start moving around, you have to be disciplined and you have to understand there's going to be a loose play element You know that's involved. Uh, Tom Brady and C.J. Stroud. They had a podcast together. It was really Brady's. I mean, you know them, right? Was a, a familiar, guest. vaguely yeah. familiar with both. And Brady said something to the effect of, hey, real football doesn't start till Thanksgiving, <laughs> right? And I've heard that before from the Patriot camp, but can you speak to that a little bit? Because that's sort of the turning point of the year, right? When you're heading into that final stretch, do you make the playoffs or not? That kind of thing. Yeah, what you're trying to do is put yourself in a position where you have an opportunity to compete for you know games that, that are important or that really matter. Um, and as you get later in the year, you just have less games, so they take on more significance. So once you get to Thanksgiving, once you get into December, there's some jockeying for, I would say, the end of the year. So you can't lose... I would say focus on the short-term goal, which this week the focus is on Arizona. But, I mean, we have eight games remaining. Each game is going to take on a certain level of significance. And the later you get into the season, your opportunities are going to be limited. So um, you want to try to be playing your best football sort of later in the year. Um, and hopefully you have an opportunity to put yourself in a position to maybe do something um, you know, where you have a chance to play beyond you know whatever the regular season is. So... I think it's a little bit too early, candidly, to to, to talk about that. Mm-hmm, um, sure. You know, it's a topic of conversation because there's a lot of things that can change between now and the end of the year. I think the big thing is just making sure that, you know, we're pre- prepared this week to play a good Arizona team. Well, can you talk about the brand of football we saw on Sunday with the Texans? Because with the running game, as you and Johnny talked about, going well, and the way the defense was playing for the bulk of that game, I know you want to eliminate the mistakes, turnovers, but was that the brand that you want to see out of this Texans team? Yeah, you just want to be able to play good complementary football. So we had our opportunities offensively, um, field position for the most part. You know, we had the advantage there. I mean, I think the Cincinnati game really defensively came down to the explosives. So we gave up, you know, four or five plays over 30 or 40 yards. So those are chunk plays. So if you take those plays out of it, which you can't, but they have a huge bearing and vice versa. I mean, offensively, we were able to create a lot of explosive plays, but – you want to, whatever you have to do to win the football game in the end, that's the most important things. But you want to be able to complement each phase. Um, you know, when the defense gets a stop, you know, the offense is able to capitalize and hopefully get points or shift the field or put yourself in, you know, the right field position. So there's give and take. But I think in the end, you just want to be able to go out there and play good football, limit the mistakes, limit the explosives, take care of the football, and then take advantage of your scoring opportunities on both sides when you get into the red area. I'd say the first half we didn't really execute in the red area, second half a little bit better offensively, and then you know the end of the game, let's say the red area stop was pretty big where we forced a field goal, we were able to actually get the ball back to have the last drive. So, I mean, everybody talks about it all the time, but that's an example of what you want to see in terms of complementary football. Nick, it sounds simple enough to say, ah, one week, one week to the next. You left that one behind, you move on to the next one. But we had two pretty exciting victories against two pretty good teams the last couple of weeks. How difficult is it to maintain that one week, that's done, flush it, let's move on to the next one? And how much does a game like the Carolina one, which one we don't like to talk about, but to have that memory of, hey, if you slip, remember what can happen. That team was 0-6 when we saw them, and they knocked you off. You face a 2-8 team, like you said, throw away the records because they've, they've been a lot of games. How do you kind of maintain that? What's the focus to maintain kind of that one-week attitude to stay focused on those seven days in that game? 
Well, those are the only things that you can control. So I think you have to have a certain level of discipline, a certain level of commitment, and understand that if you don't go out there and do the right things, then you're not going to give yourself a chance to win the football game. So in the games that we lost, I'd say that's certainly been the case. Did we do enough to potentially win? Yes, but in the end, we didn't do enough, and you really don't know which play is going to matter or what situation is going to make the difference. So I think our players, when they come into work you know, this week on Wednesday, like they'll be focused and they'll be able to flip the page um, to Arizona. Um, and I think, again, it starts with D'Amico and his messaging, what the expectation and what the standard is. But I think we have a lot of guys that are very disciplined, that care about winning, that want to win. But there's things that go into winning football, and it starts with your preparation and your process during the course of the week. And if you do those things during the course of the week and you're prepared and you go out there on Sunday, then you're just kind of reacting to this situation, and then it's going to come down to how well we execute. Nick, we know you go to some college games. So where does the Buckeye atmosphere rank to you? And I know you're from the state of Ohio, so maybe there's some partisan opinion here, but tell us. Yeah, no, it's a good environment. I mean, I think they've done, they've added stands. I mean, there must be over 100,000 people. So uh, they they find ways. They find (laughs) pockets, but really good atmosphere, really good environment. Um, I would put it up there. Um, Was at Georgia this year. I would say that was a pretty good, I mean, atmosphere. I mean, they're into the game. So anytime you have 100,000 people cheering for one team, um, it gets pretty loud in there. So, Woody Hayes, how many stories have you heard about the legend of Woody (laughs) Hayes and how he had the whole state wired with the high schools and everything, all the pipelines leading up to Columbus? Yeah, I'm sure Woody did a lot of things to try to gain (laughs) a competitive advantage. But, you know, Woody's one of the best coaches of all time. So, um, you know, certainly proud of my Ohio roots. There's no question about it. Were you OHing as CJ <laughs> was in the end zone? <laughs> no, I was not. I was not. <laughs> that was a good look, though. It was. Nick, thanks a lot. Good luck this week. Thanks, fellas. All right. As always, great stuff from Nick Casario. Step in the studio. Appreciate him being here. Mark, this afternoon, uh, I was watching a little bit of the Arizona Cardinals, and I don't like it. You don't like I them? don't like them. Mm. I don't like them as an opponent. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. I love them as a football team. Boy, they play hard. They're pesky. They're feisty. I can see why they're two and eight, but I can also look at it and go, man, I could see them with four and six or five and five. Yeah, this they is a pretty quit. pesky football team. They have not quit. They beat the Dallas Cowboys, which is unfathomable, really. I know the Cowboys are not perfect at all, but come on. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lost to the Giants, which is equally unfathomable. Uh, they lost to the Commanders opening week. These are close games, Johnny. Yeah. Uh, the Bengals, all right, that's by 14. The Rams, pretty big. Seahawks by 10. Look, the Ravens by seven. They've been in a lot yep. of these games. You can tell just from the highlights that the guys were playing hard for Jonathan Cannon. They were not mm-hmm. giving up, and now they have Kyler Murray. Now they have healthy James Conner. That's a bit of a problem. Buda Baker on the back end. They've got some assets, and if you're not on your best game, they can beat you, yep. so brace yourselves. Yeah, it just worries me because in, in I don't want to say they were us the last couple of years, in particular last year, but we made things very, very difficult on nearly everybody we played last year. Just didn't really have the offensive firepower in the fourth quarter to put games away. They do with Connor and with Kyler Murray and with emerging tight end Trey McBride. That guy's a horse. He, in fact, makes the big catch against Atlanta. So Atlanta scores, goes up one, 23-22. They missed the two. So now they know they need a field goal. So Kyler gets a big scramble, gets on the other side of the 50. He throws it deep. Like, he just chucks one up. 
And Trey McBride goes up over two guys, snags it, gets it down inside the 10, and then they kind of play a nice little clock game. It was pretty interesting at the end of the game because Connor, they give the ball to Connor. They don't take a knee. They give the ball to Connor. And Atlanta is one guy from Atlanta is literally trying to throw him into the end zone. Oh, yeah, just to make him and score. He goes to get down. The ball. Yeah, yeah, he goes down. The next one, he doesn't even get to. It's, it's funny because the Cardinals don't want him to score. The Falcons want him to score. So the Falcons are kind of backing off. The Cardinals aren't blocking anybody. <laughs> and so it eventually gets down to two seconds or whatever it is. And then uh, Matt Prater hits a field goal. And that's another one. I mean, you know, if the game goes down to a field goal, Prater can hit it from 60. Inside, indoors. Oh, yeah. He's got a cannon. He's the man. So there was an easy one against them. But I just I worry about them when you see the record two and eight. Like, oh, and everybody just naturally relaxes. Like, oh, I don't know some of those guys over on the other side. Like I knew the Bengals. Like I knew the Steelers and some of that. And if you get you take that attitude going in, they're gonna they're gonna whip you up one side and down the other. That's hopefully not what happens against them. But I could see them coming out, going down. And and here's the game that pops into my mind. I don't know if you'll the game that pops into my mind is 2019 Denver. That one? That one pops into my mind. That was ugly. That I know. was an utter destruction of it was the after, home team. I know. It was after the Sunday night win against the Patriots. Yeah. It's another home game. We're going to rack up another win. This is going to put us that much closer. Maybe we could get a bye. And they spanked us. Drew Locke. bad. Drew Locke went nuts. He yeah. made throws he had made all year. Kareem Jackson has a fumble recovery for a touchdown or something. I can't remember. But it's 38-3 to before you blink. I don't know why this is, and we could theorize all day long, but in the O'Brien era, and I'm always grateful for those wins, those division titles, getting to the postseason. I don't, I never take that for granted. You know that. I've said it many times. Correct. I'm grateful for the victories. But there were some inexplicable blowout losses, stuff you just can't even figure out. Why did this happen? Why did Atlanta happen in 2015? Why did Miami happen in 2015? In 2019, why was the Ravens game as bad as it was? Yeah. It's one thing to lose to them. You're right. coming off a bye, but you got just demolished by the Ravens and you had a pretty good quarterback at the time who was a seasoned guy yep. at that moment. And then you beat the Patriots a couple of weeks later, and then you come back with a blowout loss to Denver. I don't know why it happened, but it did happen. I don't think it's happening with these guys. I don't think it's happening in this regime. I think, of course, they're not going to win every game. They could lose some games. They could lose this weekend. They're not getting blown out. They're going to be in the game. They're going to be competitive. Now, they could get ambushed because Kyler Murray's good enough to mm -hmm. do it. Whoop, whoop. Yep. Oh, my gosh, you're down 14 nothing somehow because uh, you missed a third down, whatever, and they scored back-to-back, -back, whatever. That could happen. Or they emerge late with a big drive, and all of a sudden you're in a big pickle. You don't have enough time on the clock. That could certainly happen against the Cardinals. But... Johnny, you have coaching here, and they're going to remind them all of all yeah. that. The first thing D'Amico's going to do is remove the record from the name. Forget about the record. This is a brand-new team. This is Kyler Murray, James Conner. This team can beat you. They just beat Atlanta. And, by the way, Atlanta beat us. So mm -hmm. pay attention. They did well coming out smoking against Cincinnati after the really wonderful victory over Tampa Bay, right? We're not worried, but wondering, is that going to happen? Yeah. That Panther let down. Are you going to have something similar against the Bengals? I didn't think it would happen because the Bengals would have their attention because they're so good Come, going into that game. They had won four in a row. Now, the Cardinals aren't, but at least they're coming off a win. They got Murray back, and the players understand Kyle, Kyler Murray. They understand what he can do. So I don't think that they will look past this team. They better not. 
Because I know right after this game, you know what you have. You yeah, have AFC exactly. South play for the lead game. Mm-hmm. Mm, put that aside. Focus on the guys with the birds on the helmet. Absolutely. Now, saw this this afternoon, Mark, at some point. I follow the Pro Football Hall of Fame on Twitter. Yeah. Which I'm sure a lot of people do. New to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. If you think about, we were talking about this, we kind of you know, played around at practice, and we always play the game, what if I told you? What if I told you that at, that at some point midway through the year, C.J. Stroud's uniform would go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame? This is the tweet from the Pro Football Hall of Fame. New to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the jersey that Houston Texans quarterback C.J. Stroud was wearing in Week 9 against Tampa Bay when he set the NFL record for passing yards in a game as a rookie with 470 displayed prominently at the hall, as they call it, new at the hall, CJ's jersey from the game against Tampa Bay. Okay. How about that? It's one of those things, and there are many this year, boxes checked that would indicate, and look, it might not happen, but would indicate that he's going to be a great one. Yeah. Right? Right. When you look at some of the stats, and there's a new stat every day about something Stroud is doing that mm-hmm. had never been done before or that only three people had been had done it before, or something like that, right? Every day we get different stats. We semi-joke about it every weekend. We are reaching into the record book when mm-hmm. C.J. Stroud plays. He's that kind of player. This is another box checked that would indicate he's going to be a great one. His uniform goes into, into Canton for something Excellent that he did. And I remember, I'm old enough to remember Roger Clemens playing in Boston and striking out 20 Seattle Mariners. I'll never forget the soundbite of Rocket talking about, hey, my mom told me I'm in Cooperstown. Like Mm -hmm. he was in Cooperstown already because they sent his uniform or his glove, whatever they sent there to Cooperstown to commemorate that 20 strikeout game against the Mariners. This reminds me of stuff like that. When yep. you see things like this happening, that means you've got one of the really hot prospects to be a great one in your sport, and that's what C.J. Stroud is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all the different things. We, we were just talking about, what if I told you at the beginning of the year that Andrew Beck would have a kickoff return touchdown and then a rushing touchdown? Like, he would have as many rushing touchdowns as Devin Singletary, who has as many as Damian Pierce, who has as many as C.J. Yeah. Stroud. Yeah, those boxes well, are no, getting... no, no, C.J.'s got two. C.J.'s yeah. got two touchdowns, right? Those boxes are getting checked, too, because Pierce obviously not having the kind of year you'd want from Pierce with the injury and whatever else. You have Devin Singletary, AFC Offensive Player of the Week. You have back-to-back weeks with AFC Offensive Player of the Weeks. You have an AFC Offensive Rookie of the Month or Offensive Rookie of the Month earlier. You have the Cooperstown thing. You have Beck scoring twice this season, which I guess we thought he could score as a fullback, but special teams touchdown was something else, right? Right. Then you have Dari kicking the field goal. You have Fairbairn (laughs) being injured, and you have Matt Amendola kicking a game winner in Cincinnati. You have a lot of stuff happening here, and we're just over the halfway point. And in the game against Cincinnati, you have Shaq Griffin and DeAndre Houston Carson with interceptions. Yes. I mean, tell tell me this. You and I do shows in... July now Griffin was already here. He so was here, but he had he had literally that, just gotten here. So that doesn't work as well. But maybe right after the draft, mm-hmm. through the initial wave of free yep. agency, right after the draft. Oh, by the way, Griffin and DeAndre Houston Carson are gonna have picks and a big win at Cincinnati, <laughs> week ten, and Matt Amendola's kicking the game winning field goal, and CJ Stroud's uniform goes to Canton for something he did the week before. What? 
We're, we're dreaming here. This is a dream season. We would have got. Progress. We would have been called homers, even maybe yeah. worse than what we already called homers. You guys are a bunch of homers. I mean, seriously, Noah Brown is 150 yards receiving in a game. <laughs> no, 170 uh, uh, plus, and then huh. he has 170 plus in a game. Uh, yeah, CJ leads the team in rushing touchdowns. He's got two. Um, everybody else has got. Yeah, that's something they want to look one. at. That's that's another thing that they play. Three teams coming up here that mm-hmm. are in the bottom five of rush defense. Yep. Everybody but Jacksonville in the next four games, right? Yep. So maybe you can make some hay there. Maybe you can run the ball better. Maybe you can do what you want to do on the ground, which is only going to make life easier for number seven. Let's see how it goes. Yeah, it would be really, really fun if that happens. Now, one of the guys we just talked about is Shaquille Griffin. He joins B. Scott on the slant. That's next right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. Let's get right into it. It's the slant with our guy B. Scott this week, Shaquille Griffin. Can't wait to hear this. Let's go. Brandon Scott here for the slant, joined by Texans cornerback Shaquille Griffin. Shaq, first of all, thanks for joining us, man. How are you doing? Uh, Doing good. Appreciate you guys having me for sure. Now, I was excited about this interview. I was wondering how you would present with the hair when I found out I was going to be talking to another uh, to a player who also has dreadlocks. <laughs> I was expecting you to come up here with the updo, but we both have it uh, both have it down today. I'm curious from you, like, why the updo? You and your brother both pull that off. <laughs> I don't feel like I can actually pull off the updo. What is it that you like about the updo? Um, I think uh, it started because I mainly just was trying to keep it out of my face. <laughs> it was always in the way, you know, move around a little bit. Um, I actually just had it up. You know, I had to shower real quick, but uh, once I put my hoodie on, I had to take it down, so I had brought my hoodie with me, so I had it down. But, yeah, it was just up, so it's funny that you said that. I literally just took it down. But, uh, yeah, when me and my brother first started that, at first it was just us trying to keep our hair out of our face to keep moving, and then it became a trend. It became a style, so we kind of stuck with it. Yeah, see, I, <laughs> I had mine down instead of having it back because I figured yours <laughs> was going to be in the updo, and we was going to contrast. Instead, we came in here looking very similar with it yeah, but but, but I will I, but I will say though the one thing that I like about it is that it keeps that heat off your neck oh yeah no I you know it, that. especially yeah. especially in the heat in the south yeah. you're from Florida obviously mm-hmm. playing here in Texas so no, no doubt about it you know I take that every time yeah definitely <laughs> now I wanted to ask you about this since I mentioned your brother mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about there being two shacks on the team because I think out of all of the success that y'all have had this year so far that one of the underrated things that Nick Casario, the general manager here, did was bring in two shacks. And I know that when your brother got in the league, you didn't like that he took your nickname Shaq. But, yeah, you know, you try to, to steal it. You're the older brother, though. So mm-hmm. I understand that. You're the older brother. I understand why you'd be possessive. But coming into this locker room, Shaq Mason, a little older than you, mm-hmm. bigger than you. How did y'all figure out the Shaq hierarchy? Are y'all able to share it? How does it work? Uh, we just share it. Ooh, they say Shaq, we both look, and they figure out which one they talking to. We both share that name fairly well, so it's all good. And when it came to my brother trying to steal my nickname, it was funny. He never – the first time hearing that name, he was still in college. I was just getting into the league. You know, Shaq kind of came around. I know a lot of people was asking me what I wanted to be called. And I was like, you know what, since everybody's saying Shaq, I just – I'll roll with it. And he came in and was like, yeah, I'm Shaq too. You know, it's both our, half of our first name. Nah, 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 nah. They don't work like that. So since you want to be Shaq, since you're a rookie, you're going to be Baby Shaq. Yeah. <laughs> and he didn't like that too well. So he ended up being called Griff. <laughs> he didn't like Baby Shaq and Shaq. So uh, he ended up being called Griff uh, later on. But now there's two Shaqs on the team, you know. Uh, we've both been around for a little bit. And, you know, uh, we both work with it. 
sometimes they, when people say Shaq, we both just look and that kind of how me and my twins to be. People say Shaq, we both look and they be like, oh, I need a, oh yeah, that's fine. All right, see you guys later. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, you know, we figured it out. <laughs> I'm sure that he didn't like Baby Shaq more so because it's the name that you gave him. Mm-mm-mm. It's I, probably because you gave him it. the name. I had to do it. I had to make sure he hated it so much that he didn't want to use it no more, and it worked. <laughs> now, you got your first interception in a while in the game against the Bengals. I know that's something to celebrate. I know you had to feel good about that. Who was the first person? And I imagine I'm asking you this mm-hmm. because you do have a twin brother, mm-hmm. but you know, family guy. Who yeah. was the first person? What does your phone look like when you pick off Joe Burrow? When y'all have the type of game, the type of win that y'all had, and y'all are let's let's be honest, y'all are riding high right now. Yeah. Who who do you? What does your phone look like? And who do you hear from first after that happens? Um, it's probably my girl. Um, you know, her and the kids and stuff. It's probably be the first one. Then my mom, my twin whole family then it's a whole bunch of people after that you know the phone pretty much freezes up you know when it comes to anything like that but uh the first person is definitely you know uh my lady you know when it get to the point where i make any plays like that the first thing i think about is my kids anyway so the funny thing is i got an interception as soon as i got the ball like you know what after the game i'm uh uh call my uh son and i was like you want a football he's like yeah i want a football so i brought him the interception ball you know something he want to run around with how, so, how old are, <laughs> so tell me how old are the oh, kids? He's four. I got a four-year-old, and I got a seven-month little girl. Oh, so you're busy. Very, yeah, you got, busy. you got a lot going on. So, <laughs> Okay, so does the oldest have an appreciation for the, for what dad does? I feel like, oh, yeah. you know, when they're younger, they know, but they don't really know and fully yeah. understand. Well, he know I'm working. <laughs> so uh, anybody asks, oh, uh, where, your, where your dad at? Oh, he's at football. He's working. Where your mom at? Oh, she ain't doing that. She at home. <laughs> Daddy's at work. He's working. <laughs> so he kind of understands that part. Uh, maybe because he get Robux. He get okay. a lot of Robux, so he know football brings Robux. Yeah. So he, he put one and two together. <laughs> okay, all right. So my son is is eight, and he's also on the Robux. Yeah, so yeah, so yeah, you yeah. and I are both absolutely have that in common. For sure. Tell you, those, those Robux drive me crazy. Oh, I'm always yeah. hearing about it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Always I got to take my card off that iPad, man. Oh, like He's starting to figure out the password. Oh, right? yeah. He'd he be like, oh, uh, I know it's got ABC. Ah, hey, don't y'all remember that password? Got to take that card off, man. <laughs> Do you find that the kids are much smarter than you give them credit for? I say I have three, and I say this like there's something about them being your children that makes it hard to really take them that seriously. Yeah. But then they do something, or like even it can even be something like being on the iPad and yeah. taking advantage of your card or something yeah. like that. You find that like, man, you, you know, you're a lot smarter than I would think. Yeah, yeah, that happens all the time, and it's kind of crazy. You can't can't be mad at them, you know, because you you pick up uh, things so uh, fast, common sense. You know, and it's crazy, you know, especially when they start bringing in their own personality into it and you kind of see yourself in them and your kids and you can't stay mad at them. (laughs) You can't. (laughs) I got to ask you about just real quick about the interception. Mm -hmm. How badly had you been waiting on it? I I almost want to ask you to take me back to a year from now when you had the back injury. I imagine that's... I mean, that's painful. The, the the back is one of the trickier things for anybody, any human, but especially for an athlete. Take me from then to now, how much different it is, and then obviously having that moment on Sunday. Man, it's crazy. I, um, I go back to the first year of being in Jacksonville, and there's so many plays where I was so close, so close, and I wanted it so bad just to make a play. You know, I was like, you know what? I went that whole year without one interception. Then you go to the second year, you want to try to prove that you can go get the ball in your hands, then I – I did with the back surgery, and then I had to go through that whole five to six month period where it's like, you know what? I have a lot of people telling me, you know, it's kind of hard to bounce back from a, a back surgery. You never know if you're the same. So, you know, you have all these thoughts. You know, my main thing, my main goal was, can I play this game at a high level 
after the surgery. You know, and that was the part that I had to prove to myself. So, you know, going uh, with the Texans, you know, they bringing me in with open arms, truly believing in me, kind of helped build that confidence that I needed for myself to understand that I could play this game the same way I did before this back surgery. And to come at that last game, you know, again, the interception from Joe Barrow, the way it played out, you know, uh, in the fourth quarter, late in the game, especially when you really need it, you know, man, it was just, I feel like that pressure, you know, the weight on my shoulders kind of just fell off. You know, I understand that I worked so hard to get back to that moment to be able to make the plays that I'm making. You know, and like I said, I had a lot of people saying, you know, sometimes it's just not possible. You know, the back is a tricky thing. A lot of people can't bounce back from it. And I didn't want to be one of those people. So, man, to, to come back and prove to myself that I could play this game at a high level like I used to and then to make the plays that I did make, especially in that last game, late in the fourth quarter when you need it, uh, it was awesome, something I needed. But this is interesting to me because you've played a lot of high-level football, especially mm -hmm. up until that point. Mm -hmm. But but even you, as somebody, you, your brother too, y'all mm -hmm. have played a, a lot of really good football, but even you dealt with that self-doubt. Oh, how, yeah. how did you oh, overcome yeah. that? Man, uh, I stayed close to my family, you know, prayed a lot more, stayed close to the ones who believed in me, even when I wasn't believing in myself. And like I say, it was a lot of dark moments, you know, especially when you got to get up. There ain't no one pushing you no more. There ain't no one motivating you to go get up and – try to, you know, get the treatment you need or to go work out on your own and try to get back just to get the opportunity to find a team who will take a chance on you, you know. So, man, all those stuff was – it was some times where it was just me. Yeah. Now, I remember coming here the first time talking to uh, D'Amico Ryan, you know, in his office. I said, listen, I'm at a point in my career where I don't need no motivational speech. I don't need none of that. I said, listen, I don't need music in the locker room. You know, just put me out there. I don't need nothing else to help me. I don't been through the them dark nights. I don't ran through that wall myself. <laughs> I don't need nothing else. I'm here to prove it to myself. I just want to show you how good I can be. You know, and that, I remember uh, first saying that to him. He's like, we need more guys like that. Right. And, but I was telling him, man, I was coming from the heart. Yeah. I felt that. I was itching. You know, that's yeah. just, that was me. You know, all them dark nights, I had to show myself that. Man, all on dark nights, it, it meant something. Yeah. You know, I had to make sure I had to prove to myself that I can do this. Yeah, I noticed that about this team, that it's a bunch of guys that seem self-motivated. Mm -hmm. Whether it's mm -hmm. guys that's got a chip on their shoulder or just trying mm -hmm. to prove something, but a lot of you guys seem that way. Let me ask you about one thing I've heard you talk about before and improving was your diet. Mm -hmm. One question here. What's the thing that you had to take out of your diet that when you're not playing football no more is absolutely coming back? What's <laughs> what's something that you can't that you can't eat because you have to prepare to go up against a Jamar Chase or whoever it is for the next week in NFL? When you're not doing that anymore, what's the thing that's coming back? Man, cheesecake. Cheesecake. Man, I was a I'm a dessert head. Okay. Uh, I want it bad. I remember uh, Ricky Year, man, I used to eat a uh, cheesecake before Every home game. Oh, no, you know what? Not home game. Before every game. Okay. Uh, you know what? This is my ritual. You know, I put my head. You know what? I need a cheesecake before every game. That's my ritual. I need it. I can't play well without cheesecake. Okay. And after a while, you get a little older, your body don't react the same. I said, I don't think this is a ritual no more. I think that was just me putting something in my head so I could give myself an excuse. Oh, man. But, yeah, uh, I want cheesecake back. But, yeah, right now I'm chasing Jamar Chases and stuff right now. Yeah. But, yeah, I want my cheesecake back. <laughs> look, look, cheesecake is a fine delicacy, but I feel mm -hmm. like that's a fair trade. Yeah. You know, yeah. to to get interceptions mm -hmm. and I'll make plays it. and <laughs> be a part of a of a team that's on the on the upswing. Yeah. yeah. If cheesecake has got to be the the sacrificial lamb, then I figure that's I'll take that. And then that's but probably right now, fair. But just know when it's all said and done, I'm gonna get my cheesecake back. <laughs> I absolutely, I absolutely love that. Okay, let's let's get into just real quick. And 
look, this has been uh, very, very fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but we talked about being dad. We yep. talked about being uh, about cheesecake. Yep. I'm curious about this because I'm a dad too. Yep. Do you ever find yourself eating your kids' snacks? Have you so, ever have you ever been guilty of this? Oh yeah, of course. I'm the type. If you gonna ask me to open some, let me make sure it's not poisonous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that guy. He, he a guy who want right before he go to bed, he want a fruit snack. And he bring it to me. All right. You eat your kids' fruit snacks? Give me one. It's all right. You want a little Gatorade? Oh, that Gatorade, let tight me. I don't want you to spill. It. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm that dad. I just want to check and make sure everything is. Not poisonous. Everything's okay. I don't want you to get sick. I get sick first. <laughs> yeah. I love that you have, I, here's what I love about this, that you have a nonsensical story behind it because mm-hmm. I'm the same way. Oh, I'm just keeping you safe. You know what I tell my kids, Shaq? I tell them that this, that I'm teaching them about taxes. Oh, that's and a good one. That, and that nothing in life is free. And that when they get older, everything that they purchase, they will have to, mostly everything, eggs, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. but mostly everything, they will pay taxes, oh, taxes. on. And so as a child, they will pay the dad tax. Ooh. And so Ooh. what 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 you've come up with is very similar to for my... For this age, for that yeah. age. That's what it is. As soon as they get older and they start... Yeah, I like that. I'm yeah. not going to use that. But as soon as he's starting to understand it, oh, yeah. 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 We're, we're, I like that. We're, we're building character, mm-hmm. teaching lessons, mm-hmm. raising the youth. I, <laughs> I respect like it, Shaq. And we do too, B. Scott. Great job, Brandon Scott, alongside Shaquille Griffin. All right, big news in Texans land this week. We'll hit both nuggets, one good, one bad, but we'll talk about that next on Texans All Access. Welcome back to Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and big news with the Texans this week. Let's hit the uh, let's get the bad news out of the way. I think we did talk about this a little bit yesterday. Denzel Perryman suspended for three games. He is appealing. The appeal was uh, to be heard today. Um, I've heard no update on that, but making the appeal today and hate that because Denzel I thought was playing some pretty good football I mean he he thumps now there's no question he lays the wood but he has uh, been penalized for a few things so um, he is suspended for three games but appealing it uh, today the other side this is good news Devin Motor Singletary voted AFC offensive player of the week back-to-back weeks Texans have AFC offensive player of the week that's the third player or different player to win an offense or defensive player of the week in the AFC. Blake Cashman won it for his uh, game against the Saints. C.J. Stroud won it last week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Devin Singletary won it for his efforts against the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday. Which begs the question, Noah Brown? Nothing? Well, if Noah ends up having another game this week, maybe he gets player of the month. That could be on the table for November for Noah because he's been absolutely fantastic. But Devin Singletary, 150, 30 carries, one touchdown. He, AFC Offensive Player of the Week. Let's go behind the mics. The men behind the mics. Dave Passion, Mark Vandermeer next right here on Texans All Access. We got one hour down, one hour left to go right here on a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst. Love, love, love the voices of the game throughout the NFL, college basketball, college football, whatever whatever it might be. And there is a most recognizable voice on the other side of this one on Sunday. And that's Dave Pash. Mark Vandermeer sat down. The men behind the mics. Dave Pash. Take a listen. Joining us now on Texans Radio, it's the voice of the Arizona Cardinals, Dave Pash. Dave, how's it going? You're a busy man. We appreciate the time. Uh, good, Mark. Good to talk to you, man. 
Well, tell me, it's a very different team, right? I've been saying throw the record out. Doesn't matter. The Cardinals are a brand new squad with Kyler Murray back, right? Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, they're certainly better uh, for sure. Uh, when you add a quarterback that is as talented as Kyler is, uh, they're definitely better. I, I think with Kyler, we, we still have to give it some time. He definitely exceeded expectations last week on a couple levels. Number one, you just never know after a knee injury how much a guy is going to be concerned with that. Uh, and he clearly wasn't. He ran well. He ran hard. Uh, he was very accurate. He hung in the pocket. He let it fly. He didn't hesitate. Those are some of the things he was doing before the injury as a passer. And all of that stuff uh, was not present. All the, all the things that we were concerned about uh, were not there. Now he's been hit. Now he's been in a game. Now he's waking up on a Monday morning sore. How's the knee? Um, you know, where is he when he starts looking at the film and seeing a better defense? I mean, those are all the things that, you know, we'll find out this weekend and beyond because I think we can't evaluate Kyler. It would be unfair to him and unfair to the team just on the one game because, you know, he has to be consistent. That's been something that has been a concern throughout his career is, you know, can he do this each week? But I will say, given how hard he worked uh, to get back, the, the time that he put in uh, to rehab that knee, to be ready, I, I think is a great sign for where he is mentally. Dave, every time I see the Cardinals, it seems like they're in the game. They're in a fight. I know the Cleveland game wasn't that way, but the rest of them seemed like they were very competitive. How would you characterize the Gannon brand of football that they're trying to play? I think the biggest thing is accountability and attention to detail. And the coaches have modeled that. You're not seeing bad clock management. You're not seeing reckless coaching. You're seeing teaching. You're seeing great attention to the little things. Uh, you're seeing guys get cut or traded if they don't buy in, uh, including guys that were first-round picks. Um including guys that were just drafted high last year. So I, that rubs off on other guys. And I think most guys like that. I think, you know, Kyler Murray likes that. I, I think he wants to be coached hard. I think he wants to be held accountable. Uh, as long as that's something that, you know, he looks at and agrees with. You know, he is a guy, like I think all great quarterbacks, they'll push back if they don't like something or they disagree. That's okay. Uh, it's good to have back and forth. And I think you're going to see that. Um, and, and again, I think with all great players, there, there has to be that give and take. Uh, you know, Jalen Hurts, you think about him in Philly. It's not just, yes, sir, go out and do it. It's, well, here's what I think. Here's what I'm seeing. And then you collaborate. Um, that's what all great teams do. And I think you've got that right now. You've got buy-in from the players. You've got coaches that coach hard, that pay attention to detail, and that are going to hold you accountable. And their leaders are asking the same thing. And when you have that, when you have buy-in, you're going to have good things. It doesn't mean you're going to have a lot of wins because clearly the Cardinals are inferior when it comes to personnel to a lot of teams in the league. Dave Pash, voice of the Cardinals, joining us on Texans Radio. We talked about Murray coming back. What about the return of James Conner? What does that provide? 
the big deal, Mark. He, he's probably one of the more underrated players in my mind in football. You know, you go back to a couple of years ago, the numbers he put up as a runner and as a receiver. He's tough. He's physical. He's a great leader. And it's big. They need him. The offensive line has played pretty well, save that Cleveland game. And last week, it was a line that Kyler had never played behind before. He had a new left guard. He had Kelvin Beachin playing left tackle for an injured D.J. Humphreys. Yet they're getting four or five yards a pop. And a lot of that is after contact. Uh, I think some of it is the scheme. I think a lot of it is the threat of Kyler. But James Conner coming back, and I think that was a big part of it, too. I think there was a timeline for Kyler. A lot of it had to do with him getting comfortable in the offense. That basically it was his OTAs. It was his camp. You know, he didn't get to go full speed learning a new offense. And having James Conner out there with him, nothing against the other guys. But, you know, James Conner is a really, really good running back. Dave, while we have you on, I want to ask you about Joshua Dobbs. What did he provide? And I know he made you competitive and it wasn't successful in the one loss department, but what he's doing in Minnesota is incredible. So what was he like to be around and what do you make of what he's doing with the Vikings right now? I'm really happy for him, Mark. He's such a great kid. Got to know him a little bit covering Tennessee games when he was there. And he was always such a joy to talk to. And when the Cardinals went out and got him right before the season started and inserted him as the starter, you didn't know how he would play because I think he's limited in some ways, but he's so smart. He's such a great leader that, you know, he picks things up quickly, obviously, as we're seeing in Minnesota. And, I, you know, his history will tell you things will even out at some point. It kind of did here with the Cardinals, and it's done other places. Uh, that's why he's been traded as often as he's been a release. But I hope it doesn't. I hope he keeps playing like this because he's a guy that's worked incredibly hard and – has had a lot of bumps and bruises, uh, a lot of scars. Uh, just the number of times he's been told, hey, you're not good enough. So it's great to see, and I hope he keeps it up. All right, allow me to ask these questions. You do a lot of college football, a lot of college sports in general, NBA. But tell me, what is the best college football atmosphere, in your opinion, that you really like? It could be a subjective thing. You like it because the food is good or something. What do you really like, Dave, in college atmospheres? <laughs> Well, there are, I mean, if you talk like Alabama has uh, as good an atmosphere as any, uh, if you throw in there, the food uh, in the press <laughs> box is pretty darn good too. I mean, most SEC places, you can't go wrong. There's a way that they go about doing things that is second to none. I know people think at ESPN, we have an SEC bias, but it is the best football. They have the best players and the best atmospheres. And um, I mean, there's a lot of great places. It'd take me a while to get through it, but I, I love, you know, doing the SEC uh, we've been at Texas this year. We've been at Oklahoma this year. Those those places are, are as good as any as well. Have you had any close calls in getting to a Cardinals game after doing some college football? I mean, my buddy Andre Ware has always made the game. So what about you? I did and, and probably had my closest one two weeks ago that I've had in 20 years of splitting and doing both. I've, I've done 22 years of Cardinals and this is my 20th year at ESPN. And so 20 years of the back-to-backs and uh, we did Bedlam. It was a you know Saturday afternoon game two weeks ago in Stillwater, and you know was supposed to have uh, a flight all set up uh, the next morning to to arrive you know well before kickoff, but had a had an issue with the plane. Uh, one of the bathrooms was broken. Um, and it landed about an hour before the game. Had some issues getting to the game and getting into the stadium. Walked into the booth about 15 minutes before kickoff, but was ready to roll. It's stressful, man. It's not fun, but uh, thankfully. I haven't had to miss one yet, so uh, hopefully that'll continue. All right. I want to ask you the atmosphere question about NBA. 
because you've done so many NBA games. Who has a really great atmosphere? Give me one or two teams that you really like. Oklahoma City, Memphis, Portland, when you think of smaller markets, Madison Square Garden, Boston, uh, you know, crypto with the Lakers can get really good. Phoenix can get really good. You got a great team. Most of the arenas are great. A place like Oklahoma City or Memphis or Portland, uh, they just love their teams. And so even if those teams are not good, they're a great place to call games. The state of the NBA right now, where are we at? What do you think? I think it's great. I think it's in great hands. You've got, you know, obviously the, if you even want to call it a generation, but the previous star group, the older star group led by LeBron James and Steph Curry, who are still, you know, the two most popular players in the game. And then you have your younger guys. Uh, I'm really intrigued, obviously, by Victor Wembanyama, Chet Holmgren, some of the younger guys that are the future of the league. I, I think it's in great hands. I think they've done a terrific job, Adam Silver has, of magnifying the regular season with the in-season tournament, uh, the new emphasis on making sure and fines if you don't play guys in the regular season instead of just load managing and resting your stars. And also, you know, I'm a voter, so uh, it's nice to have a, a bar, uh, a plumb line to go on now to be able to vote for MVP and all those NBA teams. And I think that's, you know, there's a financial incentive for, for guys to play a number of games. So I think it's great. Dave Pash, voice of the Cardinals with us. All right. You went to Syracuse. I want to ask you the question. Give me one or two of your broadcast heroes. Are they Syracuse guys or not? Because I know it goes back a long way with the orange. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, I remember growing up, Mark, in, in Madison, Wisconsin, and I was a big Syracuse basketball fan. They were on uh, in the late 80s, 1990, uh, and very good, obviously, played for the national championship. They kind of were like Showtime in college basketball. And at that point, ESPN didn't have the inventory they did then. So, you know, Big Monday, Syracuse was on all the time. The Big East was, you know, great to watch, had a ton of star power. And I just remember listening to Dick Vitale talk about all these guys that went to Syracuse. And there were a lot of guys that, you know, at the time I was watching. And I'd say two in particular, Bob Costas and Marv Albert. Those were the two that really stood out. And you know, I've been blessed to have a chance to get to know both guys. So, it's kind of crazy how it's, uh, how it's happened, but um, I mean, there's obviously incredible announcers that, you know, I respect uh, that did not go to Syracuse, but in terms of why I went to school there, I would say those two guys are a big reason why. Great stuff, Dave. We really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us and I'll see you on Sunday. Yeah. I look forward to it, Mark. See you then, buddy. Yes, sir. See you then, Dave Pash on Sunday. Kickoff is at noon local time. 11 o'clock out in Arizona. If you live out in Arizona and love the Texans or you live out in Arizona, still want to listen to us because you don't like Dave for some reason, which I think would be weird. But that said, kickoff noon right here at NRG Stadium. So get in the stands, uh, get your tailgate in, and then go get fired up to beat the Cardinals on Sunday. Coming up next, Drew Doherty and I went in the lab. And it always gets a little wacky, but we do talk about some good football stuff. We geek out, we nerd out. We do that next right here on Texans All Access. Yes, sir. It's time to go in the lab with my man, Drew Doherty. Welcome back to Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And it's time to nerd out, geek out, and then talk about an acronym that doesn't sound kind of great. But if you say, what if I told you, 
W-I-I-T-Y. I mean, like, I get it, but that's just, just know that's what it means. What if I told you edition of In the Lab? Drew, take it away. What if I told you Sunday morning before kickoff that I'd looked into a crystal ball and I saw what was going to happen? What if I told you these things? John, Texans defense is going to, well, Texans are going to kick off and the defense on the first drive is going to give up a 10 play 75 yard possession that results in a touchdown pass from Joe Burrow. What if I told you Burrow on the day was going to go 27 of 40 for 347 yards and two touchdowns total? What if I said, and what if I told you the Texans were going to have or allow two different 100-yard receivers from the Bengals? What if I told you that the Texans' offense was going to go 4 of 13 on third down? And maybe the biggest thing of all, John, what if I told you the Texans were going to turn the ball over three times? Three, John. If I told you all those things, you think they're leaving Cincinnati with a win? (laughs) What if I told you, Drew, let me flip this. What if I told you Noah Brown would go for another 150-plus yard game, becoming the third receiver in Texas history to do that in back-to-back games, DeAndre Hopkins and Andre Johnson, the others, okay? Mm -hmm. What if I told you that Motor was going to average five yards a carry on 30 carries? I'll do the math. That's 150 rushing yards. And what if I told you that CJ, the only sack he would take would be for zero yards, so I don't even know how that qualifies for a sack. And they would only give up four quarterback hits on him. And there would only be one tackle for a loss for the Bengals. And Matt Amendola would make all of his field goals and extra points. What would you have told me? I'm going to answer a whitey with the whitey. And Sheldon Rankins would bust fools up and get three sacks. I mean, they, they punished Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow got his. But Joe Burrow Burrow got some from the Texans. My goodness, they got after him. I mean, it seems like he was enveloped about five or six different times on Sunday. Yep, absolutely. And you talk about Sheldon Rankins. It's funny. I just saw a tweet a little while ago um, from John Grenard, and he just had a bunch of emojis like the, I guess the, you know, this one. um, And then some crying, laughing emojis. He said, and I quote, this the rank I seen when I first got to the Ville and said, yeah, he going first round. Sheldon Rankins uh, graded out one of the best in the league, second in the NFL, really PFF, whatever. He had nine pressures. He was all over the place. And he had three sacks. I mean, he had another couple that could have been sacks. There was one I think he ended up kind of grabbing on a burrow, and then Malik helped him, and it were like a half yard beyond the, the line of scrimmage so you don't get a sack. So Sheldon Rankins, to me, um, after not playing a couple weeks – I mean, and not having Ridgeway, I worried about that a little bit. But the way that he and Malik Collins went against Cordell Volson, Ted Karras, and Alex Kappa, I mean, it was a it was a beatdown. It was well, a you beat down. and you heard you heard that interview I did with Sheldon in the the locker room afterwards, and he said, you know, I, I've seen Kappa before, and I know what to yeah. do against Kappa. They they battled over the years, and he also said this front versus their offensive front was very it's a very advantageous matchup for the Texans. Yep. And yeah, it, it all came together and 
you know, another time, one to sack, didn't bring Burrow to the ground, but as Burrow was releasing the ball, Sheldon was in his face, and Burrow yep. got picked off in the end zone right there yep. um, by Certainly. you and me in the fourth quarter. That was fun. Just a fun, fun game. It, it's always fun. I've always had fun in Cincinnati. It's only been yeah. awesome. It really yeah. has only been awesome. 9 11, 15, 17, and now in 23. Just so much fun when we go there because they've the Bengals are always prohibitive favorites. There's always something kind of big working against the Texans to a degree. You know, this time there were so many guys on the injured reserve. I mean, 17, it was Deshaun Watson's first start. 15, you were going in there and they were undefeated. Texans were just three and five. 11, you have TJ Yates. 09, they were, people don't remember that one because it was so long ago, but yeah. Texans, I think, were coming off of like a loss and they were under 500 and Bengals were a few games above it. It was earlier in the season, but just so much fun to go to Cincinnati and I also get to see my good buddy, Brian Giesenslaw. So yes. let's close that book on the Bengals. Let's look ahead to the Cardinals. Not a typical two and eight team because they got a, you know, an injection of life back into them with Texas high school legend, Kyler Murray, maybe the greatest high school player in the history of the state. Yeah. He certainly, he certainly has the argument, but he's back. They look pretty good against the Falcons who are having their troubles and their struggles. So with all that in mind, your cream of the cropper on Monday morning or Sunday afternoon after the game is over. You think it's going to be who? The cream of the crop. Well, and we can't we can't choose CJ Stroud. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm going to give you one that the last few weeks uh, have been interesting. I'll put it that way. But I feel like he's going to play a massive role in this game because of the man you just mentioned, Kyler Murray, and that's going to be Christian Harris. Mm. Now. The expectation level for Christian going into the season was sky high, mm-hmm. sky high. I think everybody, you know, D'Amico Ryans is, you know, former linebacker. We know the story about D'Amico. Oh, yeah, Christian Harris is going to be that guy. And, and I think early on, Christian struggled with some things. But I feel like the last couple of weeks, he started to work some of those things out. And Frisky, man, it, he has been frisky. Yeah, and, and I felt like. There were some things, you know, there was uh, there was a third down play where he was in coverage on Tanner Hudson, man-to-man, and Hudson had been killing us. And he ran with him all the way, forced the incompletion out of bounds. He was just around the football. He tangled with Joe Mixon one time over by me on the sidelines. And Mixon got up all, you know, <clears throat> you know, all huffy and such. And Christian was just like, man, sit down. Um, <laughs> he ended up with five tackles and was just running the football, was just hitting people. But. Kyler Murray's a different – oh, here's the other thing about Christian Harris. When Tyler Boyd caught that ball right before the two-minute warning and took off down the end zone, towards the end zone, DHC ran him down or had an angle on him, basically. If DHC doesn't make that tackle, Christian Harris is going to get awfully, awfully close chasing him. That's how fast Christian Harris was running to chase him down. So there's that. Now, it's Kyler Murray, the biggest, the biggest issue for the Cardinals offense. Yes, James Conner's running hard, so again – that's going to be something Christian Harris is going to have to do. Play the run. Better than five, well. five, getting better than five yards of carry this year. I mean, right. He probably and so hadn't they, gotten they enough. Got to, they got to slow down Connor, but they got to track Kyler Murray. They got to spy on Kyler Murray. They've got to hit Kyler Murray, and they've got to tackle and finish on Kyler Murray. And I put a lot of that on Christian Harris, and I don't know what the linebacker situation will be. We know Denzel Perryman um, is going to be suspended for three games. So – you hope to have Henry Toa Toa back, but you might have to go with Cash and Christian, and that's the two you have. Uh, and Cash has got that speed too, but he's going to be asked to do different things. Christian's going to be asked to do different things. 
uh, at either linebacker spot. So for the Texans to walk out of here feeling good about a win, I feel like Christian Harris is going to have to be that guy that ends up making a ton of plays on Kyler Murray and James Conner. So I'm putting the linebackers in focus, but I'm going with Cashman before, so I'm going to go with Christian Harris for this one. But he's played much better the last couple of weeks. You could see he's kind of more of himself against Tampa Bay. You could see even more of that against the Bengals. So I've been pretty happy with him the last couple of weeks. And I hope Christian is going to rise up and play well. Now he's got some confidence playing against Kyler Murray and his Cardinals offense. Good choice. Okay. We could give this, we could give this cream of the crop award probably to him every single week. You don't see it because of the position he plays stats wise, but he's very, very mm-hmm. important in this defense. I'm going to go to the guy next to Shelton Rankins, Malik Collins. Yes. Now Malik yes. works out in the off season in Scottsdale has his boxing gym, which I've talked about a lot. You know, I've, mm-hmm. you've seen it. The, the Parkinson's yep. boxing gym, it's 12th round fit. He and trainer Marty Barrett have that going, but I think Malik is going to have a big day. And I think he's going to show up on the stat sheet as well. He showed up on Sunday against the Bengals. He was, he was a pain in the ass for the, for the Bengals up front. I think it's going to be the same to uh, this Sunday. He's played well against the Cardinals with the Texans yes. in the past. Mm-hmm. And I think more of that, is happening this Sunday when the Texans are in their battle red helmets and color rush jerseys. That's a, that's a first. So that's going to be a fact. Oh yeah. I think they're going to look good. That's the combination. I think that I've heard the most that people love. They love the red helmets, but Mm -hmm. people love, love the, the the color rush jerseys, the blue jerseys with the red numerals. That is going to look so sharp. I mean, I think I'm more excited about that than what you said about Malik Collins. Um, I, I, I kid, I kid. Uh, Leak has been incredible. I mean, yeah, he was incredible the other day. He took Cordell Volson and just took him to school on the second drive of the game. Like all three plays, those three plays were all a result of Malik Collins. And then Sheldon Rankins took it from there, man. It's unbelievable. Sheldon Rankins, Malik Collins, two of the baddest men in the Valley. That, uh, that was such a fun game. I mean, my goodness, being down there on the sideline. I basically, for those that don't know, I'm in the press box most of the game. You're on the sideline the whole game doing the radio stuff. I come mm-hmm. down when it's like about nine minutes to go up in the press box, I head down. And so I got down there probably around the five-minute mark. When I stepped on the field, that's when Denzel hit Jamar Chase. That's when that happened. So whenever yeah. that was time-wise, and then I kind of curl around, plop down in that, that sideline by the end zone, and I think I – counted one Mississippi two Mississippi and I looked to my right bam Shaq Griffin gets the pick and I in my mind I'm like well this game's over yeah. <laughs> and then it just went haywire and bananas yeah. So, yeah it was a fun time in Cincinnati all right Twitter question of the day John Harris okay of the next four games in which will the Texans shine the brightest I'm going to make this really simple, and I'm going to be a football hardo the next one. Hmm, how come? Because it's the next one. No, why and, are they going to shine the brightest? Well, because it's the next one. Because I feel like this team is starting to kind of realize what it is and what it can be and what it can do. And the next one on the schedule is the Arizona Cardinals. And then after that, um, and here's the thing to to realize, and this is absolutely crazy to think about. But if the Texans win this game against the Cardinals, no matter what happens with the Titans-Jags, no matter what, if they beat the Cardinals Sunday, November uh, 27th, if my math is correct, something, whatever, the following Sunday, 
is for the AFC South lead at home against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, that is a what if I told you. Yeah, I mean, what if I told you that back in August? I mean, people would have thought I was absolutely crazy, but that's what we're sitting on right now. So, got to take care of business against Arizona so that you can make that game matter the Sunday after Thanksgiving, which I believe is the 27th. But all of a sudden, my my math is just so off. I can't do the math, but I think that's right. 26th. Yeah, 26th, because we played on the 12th, played on the 19th to 26th. So there we go. The 26th is that day when we play Jacksonville. But that game ain't going to matter if you get upset by a 2-8 football team that is good, is feisty, is physical, all those kind of things, but is not better than you. So got to take care of business. On Sunday at noon, speaking of business, way back in the day, our next guest used to be in my business. In fact, he was an intern of mine, of ours, at a former radio station. Cameron Cox covers the Cardinals for News 12 in Phoenix, joins us next right here on Texans All Access. We got one final segment this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris. Football analyst, a sideline reporter for you, Houston Texans. And this one, it kind of tugs at the heartstrings a little bit because, well, you just heard me and Drew. But Drew's going to stop back by with a guy that I've known for actually a long time. In fact, I knew him as a, as a young buck here in Houston. He was an intern for me and our radio station way, way back in the day. And now he's uh, Channel 12 News right there in Phoenix, Arizona. It's Cameron Cox. So it's called Behind Enemy Sidelines with Drew Doherty. And my former intern, Cameron Cox. Time to go behind enemy sidelines. And this is a special one because the Texans are playing the Cardinals. And we have, some might think, a double agent. Because Cameron Cox is a sports anchor at 12 News in Phoenix. But he's from Atascacita originally, which is just north of Houston, if you don't know H-Town geography. Cameron, it's good to be with you. First and foremost, tell us your connection to the Texans. Tell us your (laughs) thorough connection to the Arizona Cardinals. Well, the connections to the Texans is Houston is home. H-Town is is my my city first and foremost. We grew up, my parents grew up going to the Dome, watching the Oilers, were heartbroken when they left, never found another team. And then when the Texans came along, we did, I didn't miss a home game until I went off to college. Mm. Uh, and even then tried to come back as much as possible. Always enjoyed coming back. My mom is still a season ticket holder. Through all the down times, no matter what, no matter how mad she got, she never, ever wavered in her faith to the Texans. And so it's it's been really <laughs> cool to just to still have that connection to the team. We used to take my grandparents to the game before they passed away, just have great memories walking from the yellow lot all the way up to the upper deck. And so it's it's that that's home. That's home. Watching the Texans is home. It's always been home. And so it's cool to see them kind of rejuvenate that city because when that building is rocking, there's just nothing like it in H-Town. It's always cool to see. And then, yeah, I grew up in, uh, was born in Sugar Land, went to Tascacita High School once they built it, graduated from there, and uh, now been out in Phoenix for the last 10 years. And so that, this has kind of been my second home. Home, home away from home in a way we yeah we cover the cardinals you know religiously out here host the cardinals show up to sunday night football we're with them every day this week in fact the coordinators are going to talk a little bit later on today and so kind of like you guys are full go with the texans man when the cardinals are rocking it's the same thing here and now that kyler murray's back it just kind of rejuvenates this city in a way that was much needed right and let's start right there i mean you look at the record on paper and you know nothing else you zoom in it's like wow well this is an easy win. Cardinals are two and eight. They're not any good. Well, they're coming off their second win. And like you said, Murray's back. And 
that was just a shot of adrenaline for that franchise, wasn't it? Yeah, they needed it incredibly bad, Drew. It's just been such a tough year. They almost felt like a team that was just waiting for their quarterback to get back, waiting for things to kind of look somewhat normal. I asked Murray after the game, did that feel normal? And he said, without a doubt. Everything felt fine. Everything felt great. And even though this is a new regime and, and it's a massive turnover for the Cardinals um, from front office, from people behind the scenes, obviously a new coach, new GM. This is really a new culture way for the Cardinals. And they spent a lot of the offseason doing kind of what D'Amico did, just reestablishing things that work, investing back in people, kind of, you know, figuring out a way to have that tight locker room. It's, it's kind of worked so far. But then when the product got on the field, and you didn't have a starting quarterback, and you moved on from Colt McCoy in training camp. Then you brought in Josh Dobbs because a rookie fifth-round pick out of Houston, Clayton Toon, wasn't ready. It was just going to be this kind of survival mode until Kyler got back, and they were just waiting and waiting. And then they had one of the worst offenses games in team history in Cleveland. Like, I'm talking top two ever in this franchise that goes back almost 100 years, right? And so then Kyler comes back and all of a sudden you start to see that magic once again. And then for him to lead them on a game winning drive, it was like, okay, this is the quarterback that was in the MVP conversation two years ago. This is what this offense can look like now that kind of all the weapons are in place. And uh, the biggest thing that I saw is just the smiles. And you know that when a team starts winning again, you start to see the reaction from people and the belief in people. And when teams start to believe that the expectation wasn't there yet, Anything can happen. That's what happened with the Texans right now. They're believing in what D'Amico's throwing down. That's the best thing. And now that Kyler's back, you're just seeing that belief. I'm, I'm real interested to see what type of team we see on Sunday against the Texans. Yeah, you know, you look at the the box score from that Cardinals game last weekend and you see some explosion that I, I don't know if it's been there this earlier in the season, but it was clearly there on Sunday. You get Trey McBride with a 33-yarder and another 28-yarder, and then you mix in Marquise Brown with a 28-yarder. Michael Wilson, a rookie out of Stanford, that's a guy who was a really intriguing in the just the pre-draft process, sure. intriguing pick. He was very, very highly rated by the PFF guys, and he was sort of like an outlier in that regard. Well, you see now, I guess to a degree, why he was so highly rated. He's chiming in and making some things happen, it looks like, from afar. You can inform us better on that. But it's a nice array of weapons, you think, for uh, for Kyler Murray, isn't it? Yeah, and the best part is when you looked at, like, the route chart and where guys were moving to the mm-hmm. one complaint I had about Cliff Kingsbury oh, yeah. when he was here last year is, you know, he ran that traditional spread offense and guys are kind of set in that offense where they're going. You know, the, the, the ex receiver doesn't go on the other side because he's mainly on this, on the one on the left side in the spread offense. What drew Petzing, the offensive yeah. coordinator for the Cardinals first year play caller came over from Cleveland. Um, what he has done a really good job is mixing everything up. Murray, who I thought was going to be under center more, was still in the shotgun about 80% of the time. I thought it was going to be more 50-50, but clearly they're trying to tailor to what he's kind of used to doing. I think they would like to get that number closer to about 60% under center. Um, Murray did great, by the way, doing that. He's never done that really a lot in his career and uh, really called in place in the huddle. Never done that a lot in his career uh, most of the time. And so it was cool to see him adapt to this new style. But what Drew does a good job is throwing a lot at you. Like guys are just moving all over the field. Trey lines up on this side. Then the next play, he's over here. Hollywood, kind of the same thing. They don't show you a lot of the same looks twice. 
Uh, they don't have a problem running the same play twice, but it's usually going to hit you from a different angle. You right. saw that with the tush push too, as well, that everybody likes to run. All of a sudden they take Murray out, which I thought was a great decision. They bring in Clayton Toon to kind of fall on that pile, right? Well, the first time they run that tush push, Clayton options it away. The second time he dives in for the touchdown. And so the creativity with this offense has been really good to see mixing it around. Trey McBride, second year tight end, really struggled last year. I'm telling you this, he's the starter no matter when Zach Ertz gets healthy, regardless. Yeah. Like they're going to give Trey all those reps. And Michael Wilson, you brought him up. The big knock on him was he just couldn't stay healthy at Stanford. He missed like 70% of his games, hmm. but they saw him work out at the senior bowl. And that guy ran routes with the best of them. Like he was unbelievable to see him cut. And so now look at what he's been able to do. He's just healthy, and he's the receiver they thought he was early on. Hey, and he hasn't gotten the ball like a traditional running back, like a workhorse running back has, but James sure. Connors, he's been good for 5.2 yards per carry. He had a nice game yesterday when he got – or Sunday when he got the ball. What are you seeing out of Connor? He missed that, what, about a month of action yeah. with an injury, but James Connor looks to be like a solid, solid running back for you. That was the best part about this past Sunday is all of a sudden things just started to align. You got Kyler Murray back too as well. Sure, they're banged up on the offensive line. That's going to be interesting too if they're down two starters this week. Um, but they want to run the football. Yeah. They, that's like the main thing they want to do, and that's going to help set up a lot in the passing game for Murray, like all teams do, but they really want to run the football. You saw that early on in the year uh, when James was healthy. Like, it was it was a good 50-50. It wasn't quite that way this week. Like I said, they're banged up on the old line and just not able to kind of get that going. Uh, but James, before he went down with injury, he was number two in the NFL in yards per carry. I mean, there's a reason he likes to pound that rock. And so when yeah. he's out there, when he's healthy and that offensive line can move some folks, uh, that's that more balanced attack this Cardinals offense is looking for. Uh, it was good to have James back out there, too, as well. He had some hard runs. Like, you know, Drew, those runs you don't get credit for, like those three, four-yard runs that kind of right. just, you know, just set offenses up in good position. He had a lot of those throughout the game. So on the stat sheet, it's not like, oh, James didn't have the best numbers, but he had some massive runs that I thought just gave them a chance to breathe, gave them a chance to pick up some positive yards, and then allowed Murray to get that thing really going. All right, we've heard a lot of great things about the Cardinals in this short interview we've had so far, but you just brought up the offensive lineman. Is that maybe the biggest area for concern? Don't want to say weakness, but area for concern, area that the Texans might be able to exploit defensively, or is there something else that uh, might might stand out even more to you? Yeah, I, I I think so. Like, that's the – and the Texans have done a really good job, as you know, rushing the quarterback lately. You saw that against the Bengals last week. I mean, that D-line is just getting after folks. That's the, that's the concern moving forward. And that's been kind of the M.O. with Murray his entire career. Like, when he's upright – and, you know, people think Kyler likes to run a lot of the times because you see a lot of plays with his feet. Sure. I don't think Kyler gets enough credit for truly just hanging in the pocket – He'll hang there, and he'll deliver the ball downfield. He don't mind taking a hit. Does he like to get hit? No. I'm not sure a lot of quarterbacks like to get hit in general. Uh, but he'll hang there and take a hit. But the numbers, it's crazy, are drastically different. You saw that, too, on Sunday, this past Sunday, too, as well. Like when Murray has time and he's able to kind of sit in that pocket just a little bit and deliver. It doesn't be a lot of time, but just a little bit. He can deliver the ball down the field. And when he's got guys in his face and he gets pressured, the numbers, they drop off a cliff. Yeah. And uh, it's been kind of the MO his entire career is like, if he's got time, he's going to be able to deliver the ball down the field. But if not, and, and guys are just all over him and he doesn't really have any lanes to go, plus he can't find anybody downfield, like that's where he struggles. And that's where this offense struggles too as well. And that was kind of the same thing we saw 
this past Sunday. They could be down two starters. Their left tackle, DJ Humphreys, Pro Bowl guy, did not play uh, last week. Kelvin Beecham, the backup kind of swing tackle, who really was their best offensive lineman last year because they drafted Paris Johnson Jr. this year, who's yeah. playing right. Beecham is now that swing guy. He's not in the lineup anymore, but he filled in for DJ. I thought did a good job. So it's interesting to see if they'll have him at back out there again, or if they'll be down another right guard. Will Hernandez banged up too as well. Left guard has just been who's ever healthy. The next offensive line kind of been thrown in there. So it's it's definitely the concern I think moving forward is the offensive line, just because they want to run the football, and it's tough when you got guys rotating in and out. All right, defensively they're 28th in the NFL in points per game allowed. But yeah, you got to be asterisk by it because on the other side of the ball, you've had guys not named Kyler Murray playing quarterback, and that changes the calculus of the entire equation for the defense. Sure. So with Murray back, what did you see helping the defense, helping the other side of the ball that you know maybe wasn't going their way through the first stretch of the season without Murray? Well, Drew, the biggest thing with the defense is they're just underfunded, and they got a lot of guys who are moving forward that – probably aren't going to be there. They need some new pieces too as well. Like that's the one area that probably the new GM, Monty Osford, is really going to address moving forward. I think they're the lowest paid defense in the league. Mm. And it's like, it's like by a long shot. Yeah. And uh, obviously you have Buda Baker back there, but you got guys, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, rookie guys starting at cornerback. Um, you got another good safety in Jalen Thompson. You know, you have experience at linebacker, but then you don't have a lot of experience. You got guys you just tried to move different places to rush the passer. Not a lot of big names rushing the passer, names that I guarantee you most fans couldn't even rattle off or even think of. <laughs> Up front on the D line has been a mixed mash of guys. They've played well, but they're extremely thin at D line. They had a Another D-lineman get hurt last week, so it's probably going to sign another guy off the street at some point just to get after it. So they're just incredibly thin on defense. I've seen a bunch of injuries, and it, that's just the case when it comes to defense. Now, what Murray brings is that belief. And yeah. so he's able to put those drives together. When he's able to keep that defense off the field, they can play well. They can play yeah. well. I think they can hang with Houston, but if like there's an area to attack, it's that defense. It's just because they just don't have the horses to keep up, I think. And that's something they'll address moving forward, but it's just something that they've struggled with so far. Yeah, it's something you're familiar with as a Texans fan. You go back to 2017, Deshaun Watson's rookie year. He he leaves, and that, that whole team goes off a cliff. You're at 500, maybe a game under, and he was starting to ascend, and the defense was – anyways, we're, we're veering off course. <laughs> hey, one of our favorite – he wasn't here long, but one of our favorite all-time Texans is defensive lineman Roy Lopez. Yeah. Didn't make it here this season, but now he's in Arizona. He's back home, I and mean, he's from the Phoenix area. What have you seen out of Roy? And I, I know we you don't always focus on the interior defensive lineman too much, but – he was a fan favorite around here, and he was one of our favorites as well here in the building. Man, the Lopez family been one of my favorites for a long time. His dad, yeah. uh, Roy Lopez Sr., been a longtime Valley coach yep. here, coached a bunch of different spots, and we do a big high school football show, so we've known uh, Mr. Lopez for a long time. That's what I still call him, too, as well. It's <laughs> it, It's been great to see that family. I call I'm him coach here. when I see him. So yeah, you're, coach, you're, too, you're as well. To him, but I call him coach. Too, as well. Um, <laughs> you know, it's crazy. I'll never forget when, when Roy – played for the Texans, they played out here. Uh -huh. His family had this massive tailgate. Yep. So I had to stop by, 
had to see what it was about. They had about 50 people there and they partied up until kickoff and then partied after the game too as well. The family could not be nice. I remember talking with Roy uh, at his camps before the draft. He comes yep. back home every year and does a lot for kids. So it's really cool to see. And uh, saw him in the locker room, just gave a big hug. Welcome home because it's this is home for him. And it's yeah. his family was super excited for him to get another opportunity. I really thought it would have worked out with the Texans, but sometimes the business gets in a way. Just is what it is. Uh, but he's fitting great with that D-line because they needed somebody. Like, they needed somebody with just his motor. You know that. That dude just doesn't kind of stop at times. And so he's been able to get after the quarterback. He's been able to make an impact. He'll get, I think, half the snaps most of the time during the game when they rotate D-linemen out. So it's been really good to see. He's fitting well because they needed somebody with his type of experience. And the best part is, as you know, towards his end of the time with his Texas, wasn't healthy. Now he's yeah. healthy. So yeah. th that, that's just a good thing. He's healthy now and he's going to get the opportunity to play. He's done a really good job. He's somebody we always wish the best for. I was interviewing him one-on-one -on -one back in September or so a year ago. And he kind of casually, this was like one of those goofy interviews I was doing. And he just sort of casually mentioned, yeah, I work out in the off season at Malik Collins's boxing gym in Arizona. Yeah. And I was like, what? And what? so I happened to see Malik a few days later and I was walking over to practice with him and he, he talked about it. And as I'm, as I'm splitting to go watch and he's going to go practice, he just kind of casually says, no, oh, yeah, the best part about it is most of our, our, our people that we uh, train are Parkinson's patients. Yeah. And so I would, we went out and did that fun story and, you know, I've talked about it off camera and I know you're probably going to go out there sometime soon and talk with Marty Barrett as well, but yeah. wouldn't have happened if, if Roy hadn't let that slip and let that slide. It was awesome. So Thank you, Roy Lopez, if you're listening. I appreciate everything you do. Yeah, Roy, right. Roy is so cool. He gives a lot back to the community here, too. Oh, well. yeah, huge. And, I mean, it's like you said, he's a giant. He was a giant, uh, you know, in high school football. He was a hell of a wrestler. That's I mean, what I, People forget that. Like, he was an amazing wrestler. Yeah. I joke with him. He should have gone to WWE. The dance moves <laughs> would have paid off better. <laughs> is, hey, there's still time. There's always still time. <laughs> All right, let's veer off. Let's uh, Let's talk about who you are, man. Okay. Favorite all-time Texans are? Ooh, favorite all-time Texans. Andre Johnson is, is – I still had the very first jersey when they put it on the shelf. Nice. We the team store waiting right after he was drafted. The next day, I was like, Dad, we got to go get – it's white. <laughs> it's somewhat faded. It, the numbers are peeling off a little bit, but still awesome. – Andre Johnson was my one of my all-time favorite Texans. What's your, so, favorite, what's your favorite Andre Johnson game? Gosh, one that comes to mind, Jacksonville, the game winner in Jackson or against Jacksonville here at home. Yep. It just seemed like he had it didn't matter. He would always yep. find a way. And what I remember the most is anytime he scored, just watching the people and like yep. listen to the stadium. I just that echo still rings in my ear. Um, Billy Miller was one of my favorites just because that was the first touchdown. Yeah. And um I just remember looking up at my grandpa and my dad. They were so excited that football was back. And I, was, I was kind of a young kid at the time learning, and it was just cool to see. I just will never forget that moment sitting in the stadium. You thought they had just knocked the Cowboys out, and here we go. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, Jonathan Joseph was always one of my favorite Texans. The leadership yep. he brought over the years. It's cool to see him be just as involved today, too, as well. Probably and, the greatest. Uh, he's probably the greatest free agent signing the Texans. Yeah, ever. and and man, the leadership he brought to that defense was just unbelievable to see over the years. Tamiko, I just remember him being that cool, calm guy in the middle. It was a yeah. no brainer when he was up and the Texans needed a coach. It was like 
that's the guy. And then to see that reaction, like when he was hired and I thought it was really cool. And I wish the Cardinals at some point would have that feeling and like have that moment because to see him get hired and then to see that wall of like other Texans show up, like that's a powerful image for any franchise. And I think fans notice that too, as well, because those are guys like, the community is connected with over the years and to see them so excited that he was going to be there um, was just unbelievable to see. And you, there's no, it's obvious why he's having success because he started with the family and investing mm-hmm. in people and building relationships. And the D-backs manager, Toy Lavello always talks about that. Like we're going to build people first. We're going to build relationships and the wins will come. Look, they just ended up in the world series too, as well. And that's what D'Amico's doing. Uh, and then of course, JJ. And then when JJ was here, it was even cool to meet him in person. That um, had to be weird, man. Like for it, it you, was right? weird because just like in a, good him way, in a good way, jersey, in, a, in a good way, in a good way. But there are two things that I, I, I that I really got to in my career do because I thought it was important to do one. When JJ got here, we got to do the first interview with him. It was really cool. But then afterwards, I was like, hey, man, just want to let you know. Thank you for everything you did for H-Town. Like it was, that was just cool to see. And yeah. then I get to meet uh, Bob McNair before he passed away here at the owner's meeting. He was just walking by. And I, real quick, probably, you know, his wife was with him too. This was years ago. But I just got to tell him, thank you. Hey, man, thank you for bringing football back to Houston. And so those were two cool moments where it's just like, they didn't need to hear it. They probably don't yeah. even remember hearing it. But it was just like, hey, man, what they did for our city, I don't think can never be top. Because it's well, just I guarantee cool. you Bob McNair loved you saying that to him, you know, you say he, 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 I bet if you, if you'd have brought that back up to him later, he probably would have been like, I remember that, you know, he, he loved hearing that. Cause he was, that was like one of the things he was proudest of was getting football back here and yeah. again. Yeah. So yeah, that that's cool that you got to do that and, and see that yeah. to him. Yeah, it was, it was, it was yeah. those two things I'll, I'll always remember just because the impact is just incredible. The memories that, you know, we've all had it at NRG and then it's yeah. just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it is. All right. Well, uh, tell the folks what you got coming up this week, your Twitter handle, your, your social media, all that stuff. Let's make it the Cameron Cox, uh, hour right here. What's, what's going on with you, man? What do you have coming up? Cam Cox 12 on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Cameron Cox on Facebook. Uh, this week we'll be heading out to Houston. We'll be out there Saturday night and then Sunday night we'll do all our shows, uh, from NRG after the game. Um, be ready to roll. Hopefully this is a game that I'm incredibly looking forward to like i really man. see if the cardinals kind of can keep this going in a way the texans are hot so no way am i picking the cardinals early on in this one like the texans just seem to have it rolling um cj in that office has been a, a cool surprise in the nfl and i think people have finally taken notice of what D'Amico and his leadership can do for a team so i think this is their first major test like it's it worked last week Falcons aren't very good. Cardinals haven't been very good up until that point. Just want to see what they can do, I think, against a good football team like the Texans. Okay, and very importantly, what are you eating while you're here? Is it homemade stuff? Are you going out? Is it a mixture of both? What's oh, going man. On? Well, got to stop by mom's house because mom's right. cooking is always top-notch. And then got to go to Papacitos. Papacitos, go okay. Papacitos. Mexican food in Houston doesn't compare. They think they do Mexican food well out here in Phoenix. It's <laughs> not, not so much. Uh, and they got to go to Shipley's. Another thing, they yep. think they do donuts here, and they just don't. They just don't. And it's Shipley's with an S. I know there's not an S, but there's an S. And when my family comes from North Carolina where Krispy Kreme is king, 
and they tell me Shipley Donuts glaze are the best they've ever had, that tells you something. And this show was one of the best I've ever done. A big thanks to Cameron Cox, my former intern, Drew Doherty, Mark Vandermeer, Dave Pash, Nick Casario, Shaq Griffin, B. Scott from Hiram Clark, and all of you for listening. Everybody back in studio at 610. Thank you so much. We'll see you tomorrow right here on Sports Radio 610. We break it down with Mark and the general right here. So make sure you're with us. See you next time. And as always, go Texans.